Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniaks. On today's show, we have a good internet friend, Jordan Corella. Jordan, welcome to the show! Hello! Jordan and I have known each other for an indeterminate amount of time. As we all know, time is fake, and Twitter friendships are real. Yes. Jordan, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited that you are the first guest of season two. Ooh, that's fun. So, new listeners, welcome to the show. Old listeners, thank you for sticking around, giving me your listening time. I really appreciate it. Jordan, you're going to be reading an excerpt of Awake, Arise, and Be Forever Fallen, is that correct? Yes. All right, and is there anything we need to know about this before we get started? So, this is, I'm going to jump in in the second scene. This is a story of a midwife, 17th century midwife, Mm -hmm. um, who lives in a church. And she, in the first scene, she prayed and blasphemed and the devil came to visit her. And so she has, she's been, she's basically been made a deal to have to kill families in order to bear the devil's son. Wow. I like that. This, this story is um, pretty dark. It's very dark. So I was um, looking for darkness when I invited you on. So <laughs> thank you. So I wrote this story in 17th century vernacular. So um, this this is part of the reason why I like it. All right. So we jump into the second scene here, and it's epistolary. So 24th of April, 1674. Oh my merciful God, what have I done? I cannot describe to you what happened behind the tailor's shop to those poor people, only that they did not expect it, and there was so much blood. (laughs) I did not know a person would bleed so much, and the screaming, so much screaming. I had to take off my hat and rip it to shreds to stop their cries from calling down my ruination. To tell what happened will only bring back the memories which flash behind my eyes like gruesome tricks of the light, nightmares upon waking that reveal only what my soul has become. What have I done to deserve such damnation, O Lord? Such acts of desire and request for your blessing cannot be so blasphemous who have been damned in this way. I am surely ruined, not only in soul, but in body, mind, and deed. I am undone. When Lucifer visited me in the moonlight last night, I presented unto him on the blood and my shame. It was written all over my dress and my arms and my hands. My hair was thick of it. My hat ruined and in their mouths. I left their bodies where they lay. I could not bear to look at them a moment after they stopped crying. The twitching was too much that I, a woman dedicated only to bringing life into God's world and saving the souls of innocent children, would wreak such damage upon a family. Even the devil's congratulation brought me no solace. He told me that I had done well and that I would do well at his left hand, and that I would make a good mother to his son. I said, I cannot do more of this. This act alone has broken me. He said, the bride of Satan will only grow stronger the more she is broken. I said, I do not wish to be your bride, only to bear your son. He said, the pact has been made. To unmake one part is to unmake all, and your soul damned for eternity. Trapped! 
Bloody and broken, I knelt before him and he kissed my soiled head. He told me I could clean myself for God's eyes in the morning, for the sun belonged to him, and he would want to see me as a godly woman. But am I not a godly woman, O Lord? Have I not always done your bidding? I have said I am undone, and I knew when I came in for my morning prayers, which I stayed for well over an hour, I would see a new name to meet my hand of wrath. Ire, the innkeeper. Mr. and Mrs. Ire are a couple who would be assumed jolly upon appearance, but they are always dour. Their noses soaked with gin blossoms and stomachs rotund with the drink. They have a son who they meant to take up the tray, but he is sixteen and always sickly. He has to duck to enter St. Mary's and is thin as the bell tower is tall. He is named Henry, an ill-formed attempt to assume royal standing. Henry's father and mother never come to Sunday service and spoke out against the Church of England whenever Sunday was mentioned. Although I am to assume people of their temperament would not have liked being Catholic either. <laughs> Young Henry comes every week and takes his communion, and spends a very long time of prayer. This sacrifice will not be easily done. To calm my nerves, I went, still with the nightmares playing at my eyes, I went with bolder step to the baker's shop. The baker is a widower herself, but never took another wife, taking Elliot Reach as an apprentice instead. The baker is always happy to see me, although this day he was in sour spirits. He commented on the tragedy of the cockerels, as had all the whispers I had heard on my way there. What could I do but agree? I told him. What a tragedy! How gruesome! The person responsible must be made to pay dearly, etc. He nodded, his face filled with grief, and my soul was too. What had I done to him, to Watton, to myself? It brought me great solace after my ideal in the dark of the night to previous to talk to Elliot. For a moment, our fingers touched. They brushed each other lightly, and perhaps with my newfound damn boldness I forced the encounter, but to feel Elliot's skin on mine sent an electricity in my womb I hadn't felt since my husband's touch years ago. He looked away very quickly and then muttered something about neglect and his duties and scurried off to the back to his breads and his cakes and much sweeter things than me. I suppose it is just as well. I have much more terrible things I should be putting my mind to than what Elias must think of me under my dress and what he looks like under his clothes. This is not something I would have ever dared to let my mind wander to before, but I suppose, if I am to hell, I will go without inhibition. <laughs> For what is forbidden fruit if not enjoyed? I will think of him tonight as the act is to be done. He will be my shining light in this madness, my guiding star to bring me home, the touch of our fingers, the spark to bring more pleasures. Perhaps these things will make me forget what I do, the movement of my hands, the terribleness of the deed. But the village is all in discussion about what happens in the night, so I must go quietly and be unseen. I have heard the baker in the whispers in the afternoon I added grief and remorse to my ever-laying font of emotion of what has transpired in the past two days. When I see Elliot, all this is forgotten. I lose myself in his face, his eyes, his touch. But when I leave the shop, it is all talk and gossip, and I am back in my reality of damnation, back with the guilt of what I have done and what I must do. What has made me become this? The act done without question to receive a promise? Why did I not seek to run back to your arms, your mile, O Lord? Why did I not plead for your forgiveness? Upon return to St. Mary's, I scrubbed my shoes to get the blood away and thought of all the wrong I had done, all of it easily avoided by seeking you out, by admitting sin. What sort of woman am I truly? Have I saved the children of Watton, or have I damned them all? It is too much to bear. The burden hangs heavily around my neck. My head will be forever bent downward. I suppose it would do me well to stop being such a Christian about such things. The vicar will be displeased again if the candle is gone before Friday. 
It is only now Wednesday and nearly there. I must to darkness and my task. 25th of April, 1674. O Lord, I am far beyond redemption. The things I have seen, the things I have done, have cast me far from your heavenly kingdom and made me truly ruined and terrible. A woman unfit to call upon your name in any house, be it yours or any other. I write to you only to bring myself some comfort, but I do not understand why you have cast me so far aside. To think of Elliot Reach as the act was done made him a demon. I cannot see him again. He has become tainted, a servant of evil, the reason for my fall. I longed for the warm embrace I felt in your arms, O Lord, the light I saw while in prayer, the clean thoughts I had when I baptized each child, all gone now, all gone. I have damned every thought I ever had. I am made to murder an evil as I was made to widowhood, taken to it like a sheep to shearing is my purpose. It is my duty. Tonight, as the devil took my bloodied hands in his, I felt the warmth of his touch. His hands were thin, and I closed my fingers around them for solace. He looked at me with eyes so blue I knew what I had done was wrong, because I could see how he was pleased. He said, you have done well, Sarah Hollow. I said, I cannot do any more. Truly, this has been enough for your service and sacrifice. My life has become nothing but torture for me. My thoughts are nightmares. My hands do nothing but wrongness. The devil would not let me finish. He held my hands in his, held my gaze with his. His hands grew warmer like coals from the embers of this kingdom, and he gripped me tighter to him, pulling me close. He said, we are not done. We have bargained for one more sacrifice, and then I will give you my son. I was already on my knees, but I fell to the floor, begging, pleading, grabbing at his skirts. I held them to them for some comfort that I knew hell would never bring me, not for a hundred years, not for a thousand, not for all eternity. I was damned, and torment would become my habit. He said, do it, Sarah Hollow, or you will know my wrath. And then he tore my hands from him and tossed me away, broken as I was, to the wall. I left the blood of the iris there, the handprint marking the wall in sin. My dreams that night were not dreams, but only scenes of what had played out the nights before, married in a macabre way. The deaths of Henry and Catherine entwined together, those of their parents too, the rivers of their blood running over my shoes. I spent the morning making a new hat, as my only two had been destroyed the previous nights. The vicar noticed I was late to my prayers and commented on it. He seemed almost pleased, as if I'd fallen from grace the way he always expected I would, as if he knew what sin had been fallen me, as if he'd throw me to the square then and there, and the village would have their way with me. The name when I returned was one I did not want to see, on that scorched paper such an awful scratching the name of the butcher's family, Hart. They have a daughter, too. Her name is Mary, like the virgin whose position I once and so envied, and her leg has been badly broken as a smaller child and never mended properly. She walks with a limp and her dark hair always in her face. The butcher and his wife keep to themselves, interacting with the town only as appropriate, and never let strangers through their door, for Mary's sake, I am sure. Mr. Hart is a giant man who uses a cleaver in a way that inspires fear, and Mrs. Hart is every bit his equal with ruddy skin and hair to match. They bring Mary to service every Sunday, and she sat on her father's lap these past few months as a new baby has consumed her mother's. The devil must have sensed my hesitation and has set me on a path to ruin. This family is too pure for him, too godly, and they have done nothing wrong and will do him no good in hell. Aside from bringing him pleasure to torture and torment, I will not do this. I would rather die tonight and off to hell with me without my reward. It would not matter whether I would or not. The butcher would use his cleaver on me whether I could think to set it to his own heart. There was no work to do today, no babies to deliver, no women called on me for which I was glad. I spent the day wandering St. Mary's, avoiding the people of Watton as they prayed with the vicar for the souls of the lost families. I listened as they spoke in low voices to one another, 
Some said things they would do to their murderers. Others spoke of the evil that would befall them, only the most timid whisper of how terrible it was that had happened, never speaking of retribution. I hid closest to them, but would not show my face, lest they see hell in my eyes. While the village prayed for vengeance against me, I wondered at the glass of Jesus, Son of God, accepting his blessing. What his mother made his mother so special as to be chosen by you, O Lord, and me so slighted, favored instead by the devil. What has saved me and me so damned? As the prayers went on and shadows grew long against the sanctuary floor, my thoughts darkened. I thought of only what terror would bring to England my Satan's son, and what terror to the world. After all had gone, the vicar saw me crying by the poor box. I expected him to say something about the Ayers, about the cockerels, to take me down to my knees in prayer for the safety of Watton, of all our souls go to heaven and chastise me the way he always did, for not doing as I should, but he did not. He only took my hands in his. He said, God saves all children in the end, Sarah. I asked, all children? He said, all children of God are saved, and you have done well in his service. He had never praised me before, and I could only stand and cry by the poor box. He did not know, and I could not tell him. What good would it do to refuse his goodwill? He'd always been so cruel and cold, and this rare act of kindness I could take as a sign of your forgiveness, your servant only wishing to bring me solace as I, as I make my descent into hell. Maybe he knows. But I am damned, and it would do me no good to think of the hearts, the vicar, or forgiveness any longer. It would serve me best only to think of myself. It is what all thrown to the devil must do, and I have done it to earn his attention. So I thanked him, kissed his thin hands, and returned to my room to stare at my mark of sin on the wall. The task has made me feel unwell all the day long. I have been sick three times. I should rest, so I am well before my end. And that's it. Whew. Mercy. I love a good dark story. Absolutely love a good dark story. And also love a good epistolary epistle. I can never say that word. Epistolary? I love a good epistolary story. And this story this story is mega problematic, which is part of the reason why it got trunked. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about problematic stories and why I trunk them over and over and over. Again, as I as I grow up in understanding rep, yeah. So yeah. even though I loved this story, it was like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> it's there is something like I I know for myself sometimes I'll think of a, a story idea and you know before I even set pen to page or fingers to keyboard whatever I'll say oh wait no. That's hella problematic. Nope, not doing that one. But sometimes you just have to write it and then, like, get it out and then be like, oh, wait a minute. It's one of those things where, like, I wanted to write this. I researched this for probably three weeks. I read three academic papers on 17th century midwifery. Mm-hmm. Watton is a city that burned down in 1674. Nobody knows why. So, so, like, there's all this, like, research and mystery and everything that went into it. So I love this story. And now looking back at it, I'm like, wow, this story is a huge problem. So I was like, and so I, I was looking at a lot of the stories that I was thinking about for this podcast. I'm like, that one's a problem and that one's a problem and that's a problem. So let's go all the way back to a really mm-hmm. big problematic story. Yeah. 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 I know that that's also like my trunk is lined with things that are, with problematic things that I think are maybe a bit more particular to people who have been socialized as male in Western society. 
in terms of like the ways that we see male heroes in mm-hmm. stories. So like there was definitely a lot of like man pain happening in my early stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm like I like some of the ideas that are there. I poured my heart and soul into those old stories, but at the end of the day, they're like, nah. When, when as a baby horror writer, you know, or a dark fantasy writer or mm-hmm. a dark science fiction writer, you look at like, okay, this horror trope works, this horror trope works, this horror trope works, because a lot of people do it. And then as you, as, as I grow up and look at what's appropriate, mm-hmm. I'm like, that horror trope is a problem, and that horror trope is a problem, and that horror trope is a problem. So this one has, you know, a lot of, but I mean, taking the overtone of Christian themes out of it, which is not problematic in a in in a way, right? But um, but the kid death and 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 the damnation of woman because she wants something because she wants things, you know, all that kind of thing, and I mean. Some person might come in and say, oh, but the historicity, but I don't believe in that sort of thing. You mm-hmm. Historical stuff and make it non-problematic. Um, so I think as a baby writer, I was looking at what works for horror, but not thinking what is appropriate for horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this story was one of the early stories that I started shopping around. And I think I was more wooed by the research mm-hmm. rather than what is appropriate for readers. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think I'm really glad you are the, uh, the first person to bring like a horror story. I've always pitched this show as bringing on science fiction, fantasy and horror writers, but you're the first person to actually bring a horror story on. Like I've had some, we've had some dark dark stories to one extent or another and certainly writers who have been on this show before have written some real dark stuff our our very first guest sarah gailey has written some hella dark stuff yeah but to actually have that darkness on the show is really great for me because it means that we get to talk about it more yeah i i think i i love horror i grew up reading I grew up staying up until five o'clock in the morning reading Stephen King all through <laughs> high school, you know, and in middle and middle school. Mm-hmm. I love horror movies. I love horror movies so much that I can't do the first watching in my house. Uh-huh. Because like then 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 I'm inviting the horror into my house and then I can't leave. You know, the, like that sort of thing. I love horror movies, I love horror stories, I love horror um I, I love I love looking for ghosts, you know, mm-hmm. like all that kind of stuff. So but I think that horror in itself has a lot of problematic tropes, which is why I love a lot of the newer horror movies that are coming out now, which sort of take those problematic tropes and flip them on their end and say, what if we, what if we turn those into, what if we turn the adverse into the problem? Mm -hmm. So so that's what I love. And so I think in the past, even just in the past five years, you can look at how horror itself has changed in stories and in film and in shows Mm -hmm. and say, look how much we, we grew up and noticed how we changed as a genre. And it's really lovely. And so I look at like this story now that I wrote and versus horror that I write currently and it's and it's you can't you can recognize the voice Mm -hmm. but you can't recognize like the tropes right so 
Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I think it's grown up a lot. Yeah. It is. And it's like, I think it's a place that I think horror, even more so than science fiction and fantasy, is a genre that is really poo pooed in, you know, the the fancy circles and in like the discourse in general is, you know, horror is this like sort of degenerate thing. It's this thing that like you know, maybe only weirdos like horror, which I mean, I'm a weirdo. You're a weirdo. That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's good to be weird, but like because it is such a visceral genre in a way that nothing else really like Okay, I shouldn't say nothing else. I will say horror and romance. Romance is, romance is, is similarly um, full of the same sort of sensational, not sensational, I don't want to say, sensational is not the word because I don't mean like big bombastic stuff. I mean like it's full of the same touchstones of feeling and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it gets, it cuts right to the core both mm-hmm. of those cut right to the core, and I think it's so unfortunate that those two genres are looked down on as much as they are, because what they're doing is so much more powerful in some ways than, like, sure, you can have emotional resonance in any sort of story, but the very point of horror and of romance is you are going to feel this emotion like mm-hmm. if it if you don't feel like you know if you don't feel the romance or you don't feel turned on or you don't feel like that gut clenching terror your romance or your horror story hasn't done its job i think you can do the same thing in science fiction and fantasy and i think that's the cuz cuz the whole point of the whole point of writing to me is to evoke emotion in the reader because if you don't mm-hmm. evoke emotion in the reader then then it's not it's not happening. And I don't know how many rejections I've gotten from like from places where like I'm not this was good. I didn't feel the emotion that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's a that's a that's a problem. So so I go through and I try to like like up the emotional intensity. And then maybe, you know, six or seven submissions down the line it sells. Or maybe it just sits there for a while until I decide to work on it a little while longer. But the thing is is that if you can't evoke emotion in the reader, even in science fiction and fantasy, but with horror and romance, you're going from, you're going from, you know, the, the 10, 11 mm-hmm. verses versus to the basically, literally the, the psycho. You're like, yeah. So, so, or, or the, or the big swell of, you're not in romance. You're not looking for the attack of the clones, Naboo mm-hmm. sort of, for a sort of, yeah. sort of, sort of like wonder bread version of romance. You're, we're, we're looking, we're looking for, you know, much, much better versions mm-hmm. of romance. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, attack of the clones. I had to bring it up because it's the worst romance oh, ever written. So, absolutely. so, so yeah, yeah. It's creepy too, but well, yeah. So, yeah. and you, when you get into, um, so I think science fiction and fantasy can do it as well because I know, like I know when I've read science fiction and fantasy novels and stories and Flash, I have felt a lot of stuff. I have cried. Mm-hmm. I have sat there on planes and gone, "Holy shit!" Excuse me, I just sweared. But like <laughs> reading science fiction, we are fantasy, allowed. I was reading science fiction and fantasy in public places, going, "No, no, 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 no." Yeah. yeah. So, 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 yeah. And if a book or a story can get me to do that in a 
bright public place, I think, yes, I, yeah, it does it just fine. Yeah. But horror is that thing that keeps you up until five o'clock in the morning because you can't sleep after you put it down two hours. Yeah. 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 No, and I, uh, not that you were implying it, but I don't mean to suggest that science fiction and fantasy can't evoke that emotion, just that it is, it's like, I want emotion in science fiction and fantasy, but it is maybe not the core in the same way as it is in horror. There's it, and I didn't think you were implying it. I just wanted to make sure that we both weren't. In, oh yeah, yeah, in the podcast that we both weren't. Yeah, so so I think in and there's and there's totally different things that you're going for in a science fiction fantasy story versus a horror story or a romance story, mm-hmm. um, because in a romance story the, the 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 point is to 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 get your to get your basically your heart to grow three sizes that day, you know, mm-hmm. or to do other things. And um and with a horror story the point is to terrify or or yeah, so and there's points with romance and horror, but with science fiction and fantasy there's totally there's other things that you can do. Um yeah. And and all fiction transports. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> I'm just thinking about some of the books I've read in the last few years that have like really either deeply unsettled me or like deeply affected me with like just their emotional resonance um and i think the imperial ratch trilogy but especially book two which is ancillary sword if my books are in the correct order on the shelf um that was yeah which is just such an incredible book about grief Mm-hmm. And um, I found really, like, personally deeply affecting as somebody who's experienced, who still has a lot of unresolved grief about life stuff that mm-hmm. has happened in the past. But then on the other end of the spectrum of, like, deeply affecting was reading the uh, Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that, yeah, I, that, I, um... I probably read I I read Annihilation in two hours, which in itself was a was a trip. Right. Yeah, and then and then you read Authority, and then you read the other one, and but the Imperial Rash trilogy, and then you, you can't compare the two because they're the, the two trilogies because they're so different. But as far as an emotional journey, also they're so different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they and both then, have like a strong emotional journey mm-hmm, across mm-hmm. them. Hmm. I just recommended um, the Area X trilogy to a friend, and he was just like, "What did you do to me?" I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, They're yeah. absolutely both of them in absolutely incredible trilogies. Listeners, go out if you like spaceship books or just books about feelings. Go and read the Imperial Ratch trilogy if you like. Just. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a, a term from Be the Serpent. If you like fucky plant bullshit, <laughs> go and read uh, the Area Area X trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. The movie um, is also really good too. But watch, read the book, and then watch the movie because they're totally different experiences. They're totally different. Yeah. 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 Oh. So I wanted to touch a bit more on sort of some of the problems that you were able to see looking back through your trunk that kind of, I know, come up a lot regardless of who you are or, like, 
what mode you're writing in, but sort of your process in terms of being able to recognize that and grow as a writer there. So, so when I was a baby writer, so I, so, um, so by the time this comes out, I'll be divorced, but so, so, um, so I, um, got married and I got married in 2006. I started dating my partner in 99. Um, but I, um, I had date, I had been with women for a while, but when I started dating my partner in 99, everyone said, Oh, you're straight now. You're straight now. You're straight now. Uh. So I believe, so I believed cause that was the, that that's the nineties. That's how that was. Mm-hmm. So, so I believed I was straight for a really long time. And finally, in like 2016, I started writing all these lesbian love stories. So I started writing all these lesbian love stories. And I realized in 2016, I am not straight. Like, there is no way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I came out as bisexual, and then I came out as non-binary. And that's not the reason we're getting we're ending our marriage. My partner and I are very amicably ending our marriage. There's no problem there. So um, a lot of what I was looking at in part of my writing these stories was how I was representing queerness Mm -hmm. and whether, and, and there was a, there was some problematic stuff there because I was coming into my own understanding of how it worked for me. Mm -hmm. And then also um, I'm severely mentally ill. I'm actually disabled because of it. But um, I, a lot of um, disabled people have internalized ableism. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I worked, I worked with, for 18 years with my mental, with my mental illnesses, my, my, uh, my, um, my Pandora's box of mental illnesses. So, um, which I finally just opened in 2014 and just let out and just let go play. So, so, um, so, and I, I actually have a salon article written about my mental illnesses. Um, so, um, it's, I was coming into the, there's a lot of problematic stuff about mental illness that mm-hmm. I basically looked at and said, that's internalized ableism, that's internalized ableism, that's internalized ableism. So there's stuff about poor queer rep because I didn't understand what it meant to be bisexual or non-binary. And there's a lot of stuff that's poor mental illness rep because I was, like I have a story where people are on a spaceship and somebody and, and I did a lot of, again, I was, I was, I was wooed by all the research that I did about the International Space Station mm-hmm. and somebody, and, and it's poor mental illness rep. And I looked at it, I said, you know what, I can't fix this. It's too much to fix this. I'm just going to set it aside. So, um, and I look at it and a lot of people said, this was great. This was great. This was great. But I know it's a problem. I don't want my name attached to it. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um. And there's other stories where I've looked at it and I've said, I mean, even though with one of my more popular stories, the one that people mention when they mention me, which I hate saying is popular, but it's the one that comes out uh-huh. when people mention me, the, um, everybody dies and there's a bisexual liar. Um, so, but to me, like, to me, it's, and that's, you know, that, you know, bury your queers, but I try to not do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I try to, but um, but then again, with me going through this situation with my divorce over the past year, happy relationships are hard to write. Mm-hmm. So and and um, so it's so I try to write complicated relationships. And I'm sure once I get out of, I'm trying not to write barrier queers anymore.
mm-hmm. but at least not all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, no. to to be fair, barrier queers is only a problem when you only write tragic queers. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So yeah. If if you're writing all kinds of queers, doesn't matter if some of them get buried because like bad things happen to characters in stories. Right, yeah. So, and that, and that one, I mean, the person, the main character in that story is a terrible person anyway. Yeah, she's, mm-hmm. I mean, she's, she's complicated. I hate saying she's terrible because some people don't think she's terrible. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, she's, she's a complicated person. So, a bad yeah. disaster. She's a disaster. She's a disaster bisexual. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but then I've written other stuff where the, where the where the um, lesbian couple survives and they go on to a better community and yeah so mm-hmm. and, yeah so but it's just I've looked back through rep and said this is this is me and I've, I've joked about this with other writers saying like oh I'm writing this fun thing oh no this is just me working through my issues <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, so I think this is what a lot of writers do and so I think a lot of the internalized ableism and the sorting through my sorting through my queerness was a lot of coming to terms with non-binary and bisexuality and what it meant to me mm-hmm. was a lot of me sorting through my issues yeah 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 and i think that's something that a lot of people do is mm-hmm. um you know you writing is almost like can almost be like a window into the subconscious like i don't want to get too I guess that's more Jungian than Freudian. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is Jung, yeah. Uh, you know, like, there is that level of, like, you're you're just trying to get the words out, you're trying to get the story out of your brain, and things that have been hanging out in there can hitch a ride on that that you might not necessarily have noticed were there initially. And and you can... And, and, and whatever baggage that you've taken along gets and then and you would look at it and you're like this is a little heavy i'm gonna set it aside this is a little heavy i'm gonna set it aside yeah mm-hmm. yep. yeah so. yeah and I, I think also to go along with what you were saying about having uh internalized ableism that there's a lot of like a lot of internalized homophobia and biphobia and all mm-hmm. these things that are like really can be really harmful to us as people to really harmful uh to me as a queer person to you as a queer person to you as a disabled person and it's just it's work to get through it yeah it's a lot of work and and so I think a lot of what I did was sort of figure it out through writing and therapy but figure Mm -hmm. out a lot of writing a lot of a lot through writing um and uh and it was I mean I think what I'm writing now some of it is still, I look at it, I'm like, mm, no, and I trunk it. And some <laughs> of it is, and some of it is, some of it's fine. So, so I, and so I submit it, mm-hmm. but sometimes it takes two or three submissions for me to look at it and go, mm, you're not great. So then I set it aside. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that you said earlier about friends saying, oh, this is fine, um, but you saying like, oh, you know, I'm going to set this aside. This, I don't like the, the, how this represents me mm-hmm. reminded me of, you know, there's, 
there's been a lot of capital D discourse around sensitivity reads, um, which personally I think sensitivity reads are really important and really vital, whether it is, you know, hiring a sensitivity reader for a specific thing or just, you know, in your community of writers saying, I want to run this by somebody who has this intersection. Right. Um, I do sensitivity reads for novels, short stories, and everything for for um, mental illness. I also do... Um, so um, I... Not only am I severely mentally ill, I also have a master's in social work. Mm-hmm. And I worked as a clinical therapist for... I mean, it's weird. So I worked as a clinical therapist for six years, and then I volunteered with Mental Health America's pro bono counseling program for about four years after that. So basically, I was a clinical therapist for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I was licensed for all those years. I was a medical social worker, so a discharge planner for five years. So so I was a social worker for a really long time. Um, And that's what I became disabled from. I could no longer. And that's when they said, no more work for you. No more work for you. So, um, So that's... And writing is something I can do, but I can't hold that traditional nine to nine to five as if that actually exists anymore right so yeah so um so um it's a so i do sensitivity reads and one of the things i notice um when doing sensitivity reads is that there's a lot of tropes that people think are okay Mm -hmm. and then but the thing is that no one sensitivity reader can give you a pass right because with mental illness stuff some tropes that some people think are mega problematic other people think are 100 percent okay so Mm -hmm. so a trope that i might think with my clinical brain is this is not a truth and this is not a thing and i personally with my own personal belief don't think that I think that it's a problem. Then I'll go on Twitter two days later and everyone's like, this is a thing. I believe in it. I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) So, 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 yeah. So, I mean, um, so I don't, I don't know. So no one sensitivity reader, they want one, they don't give you permission. And two, um, it's not, it's not the end all be all. Yeah. So, yeah. I Um, think the important thing, like, Yes, getting getting sensitivity reads is important, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but even more than that, writing with empathy and acting with empathy after your writing is in the world in any capacity, that you're not, like you said, a sensitivity read is not a pass, and like if you give something to a sensitivity reader, you need to be able to hold that they might tell you things that you don't want to hear. Right. Um, and also, um, oh gosh, what was I going to say? Um, also give it to the correct sensitivity reader. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't go to somebody who is, who is, um, who is from this area of the world and expect them to read for that area of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, just because, yeah. So, um, and, also, and additionally, um, um, try like try to get a sensitivity reader if you're looking at because NaNoWriMo was a little while ago. But if some people might be just finishing the revisions on their books at the time this comes out, mm-hmm. try to get a sensitivity reader before you query. 
Right. So, so because, um, I mean, I don't know that I did that with my, with the book that's, that, that, that I'm looking at that, that I queried recently. Um, and so, um, and I, I found it very helpful for me. So, yeah. For um, sure. And yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's, I, I believe in sensitivity readers 100%. 100%. And I, I think that's, you know, we have capital D discourse about it, but the fact that it is even part of the conversation, I think is really great that five years ago, I might not have, I guess five years ago, I was hearing people talking about sensitivity reads, but like a decade ago, certainly not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is weird to think that five years ago was 2015. Uh, Gosh. Like, and that 10 years ago was 2010. Like, that's just, time is fake. What is well, that? You know, you know, I saw this tweet that was, was brilliant. It was like, you know, it's weird. It's 20 years ago was 2000, but also 20 years ago was 1980. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, but um, um, so what is time? Yeah. What is time? Time is fake. It's an illusion. Uh, it is a known thing. But yeah, the 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 ability to like receive a sensitivity read with empathy and with compassion is really important. Like, you know, it's one thing to write something and give it to the correct sensitivity reader, and it's a whole other thing to actually listen to what they say. I went to this great um, workshop um, with Madcap Retreats. It was a YA workshop. Um, and it was called Writing Cross-Culturally, and people mm-hmm. like Justina Ireland and Daniel Jose Older and Heidi Hillig and, um, gosh, there's so many people there. Um, um, Donnell Clayton were there um, giving talks, and one of the things they taught us how to do was apologize on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, like, like I mean, I learned so much. Like, Tessa Gratton gave a whole 9 a.m. Foucault lecture, which I was, like, super into at 9 a.m. I don't know why. Because <laughs> I'm a weirdo. We already discussed how we're weirdos. But um, learning how to apologize on Twitter was probably a, a, one of the super useful things mm-hmm. that we learned how to do. And it was apologize, thank the person for their information, don't make it about you, and move on. Mm-hmm. And, Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And then learn from your mistake. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, it, you know, whatever that internet meme, step one, whatever, step two, question mark, question mark, question mark, step three, a profit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Step one, issue an apology. Step two, learn from your mistake. Step three, get better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Step four, profit. Yep. Yeah, and I, I, I can think of... You know, you can look on Twitter basically any day and see an is- an instance of somebody issuing a bad non-apology and obviously not learning. Right. And I, I know I've seen instances of people issuing real good apologies, and it takes work. Like, it's yeah. so, you know, you don't get a pass just because you apologized, Mm-mm. but just like you don't get a pass just because you've had a sensitivity reader... No, but no, it's I mean, an important first step, and you have to change mm-hmm. the behavior. If you if you apologize and then keep on doing the thing that was that you apparently apologized for but didn't change, then 
that shows that it was a fake apology. Yeah. 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 Um, but also, I mean, life is hard. Life is hard. Change life is, is hard. so hard. And, and I, but I've seen a lot of people change mm-hmm. and become, and become better people because out of an apology, which has been terrific. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, because light, because, you know, the world is not all, is not all, you know, terrible people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think, uh, um, I think your background as a social worker and my um, disclosure, I am married to a social worker. So I have uh, sort of, I guess, uh, like by process of association, I have some of that, uh, you know, absorbed part of a master's degree worth of studying and all of these things that it's important to realize that people are whole objects. Mm-hmm. That nobody mm-hmm. is just like, and I, I think that's what empathy is all about: is that nobody is just bad or just good. Mm-hmm. That people are complicated. And if somebody is, if somebody makes a rash decision on a day, who is normally good, mm-hmm. I usually and, I, and they're a friend of mine. I usually DM them, and I'm like, "Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, and if and if somebody is. You know, if one of your friends took something badly and is showing their whole entire ass on Twitter, go ahead and DM them and say, you know, hey, are you all right? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you might want to take a step back. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the hardest thing to do. And it's the hardest thing to hear. Yeah. And I think it's important, like you said, to, to thank the person who is telling you, who is calling you on your shit and move from there it's also important to be that guy you mm-hmm. know, who steps in and goes are you all right yeah are you okay if you have the if if you have the spell slots to right. do that you know yes, so, absolutely. so to, to go in and basically be like are you okay are you all right do you do you need to talk for a second mm-hmm. you know so like i'm here to be that guy to talk to and yeah. i think that's why having a community of writers is so important because I might not have the spell slots. I might have made a phone call already today and I don't have the, you know, mental fortitude to then confront my friend who's showing their whole entire ass that about <sighs> the fact that they're making a fool of themselves. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can... Maybe I have the energy to DM another friend who's a mutual and say, like, hey, are are you seeing this? Like... Can mm-hmm. you gut check for me? Can you, you know, do you have the spell slots to do this today? Yeah. Helping's my favorite. So like, even when I'm, even when I'm buried in chaos, I sometimes go, oh, wait, I could do this one thing. I can, oh, I, can, yeah. <laughs> I can help this one guy. So this one guy or person or, or woman or whatever. That's yeah, I can help mood. this person. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so I'd like at this point to take a trip in our time machine back to when you, Jordan, were a baby writer and uh, ask you if there's any advice that you have now that you really wish you could have given your past self. Okay, so um, I am really glad that I started submitting terrible crap early. Oh, huge mood. So, so, because, because... Because I started submitting terrible things early, I'm sure Clark's World has me on a immediately reject 
list. Mm-hmm. But, however, no, I'm just kidding. They're cultural. No, they're, they're wonderful and they always and give sure you a fair chance. Stuff, but I gave them terrible stories. Anyway, so I'm super glad that I started submitting way early. Like, I was just, I submitted terrible things. <laughs> I mean, I'm embarrassed. But, like, so, um, but it got me in that submission roulette game. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, so, you know, and I, 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 I started submitting and my, like little, the first short story I wrote, I submitted it somewhere. And then the second one, and then the third one, I wrote fan fiction for 19 years. Mm-hmm. So I figured I had, and, and so I figured I could write reader. I couldn't, but like, so, <laughs> so, but then I, um, but then when I sold, um, I sold a story and then I sold an essay and then I was writing another story and I, and I got into a critique group. Um, so, but I was running a critique group with some of my friends, like at my house. Mm-hmm. So that was great. So one, find some friends who also are interested in writing and just like host an informal critique group, even if like, so that I did that mm-hmm. and then submit everything. And so I'm really glad I did that. But also, I grew up as an artist, like a photographer and everything. So I was used to critique. Mm-hmm. So I guess as a baby writer, what I would do is listen to is when somebody says, this is what well, I would, st- I still need to listen to this. When you are done with a story, mm-hmm. sit on it for three days. Mm-hmm. Sit on it for three days. I know you're really excited, Jordan. I know you want somebody to read it immediately. It is. It needs to cook. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you need to read it out loud a couple more times. You need to look at it. Just because it's great at 2 a.m. does not mean it's going to be great at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Just because um, the microwave burrito finished cooking doesn't mean you should take it out and immediately stick it in your face. You're going to get burned. That is, yeah, you are going to get burned. And the problem is, is that I usually take stuff back from, from being rejected and I send it immediately out. So I thought that it is still way too nuclear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah, So, so yeah. So, so I need to, uh, that is the advice I need to. So one, I'm really glad I submitted early Two, I'm glad I got together with like-minded friends and critiqued. But three, I need to sit on stuff for three days. Mm-hmm. I still need to do that. Yeah. And there are some times where it's okay to, you know, get a rejection back and immediately send it out to another market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is, you know, I think, especially if it's a personal rejection, if you can sit on it for a little while, sit on it just to see if what the editor said resonates because like everybody's tastes are different. That's okay. That's good. So, so each editor is basically giving you a personal rejection for their magazine. That's something that I realized. So if you edit each, edit to each personal rejection, you're going to get story soup. Mm -hmm. So, so you're going to get story soup. So my, my thinking is if I sat on it, so, so in a perfect world, I would sit on the story for three days when I finished it at like 1am or 2am or even 6pm ideally. So um, I sit on it for three days, send it out. And then I would just continue to send it out because I would have sat on it for three days. So the burrito would be nice and cold and edible. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
as if that's not a good burrito. But, um, <laughs> so, 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 but it would be good, and I would know it's good. Yeah, it will it have cooled appropriately. <laughs> cooled appropriately, yeah. yeah. So three minutes, three days, yeah. So, um, and, uh, but it's, I don't often revise to personal rejections because I might get one from here that is like, I'm like, oh, that would be great for escape pod. And that would be great for fantasy and science fiction, but it's not great for strange horizons. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah. So, but what you do is when you get a a personal rejection from fantasy and science fiction or escape pod, you go, oh, now I know what escape pod wants. So Mm -hmm. when I'm editing a story for escape pod, I can give them that, what that, what they want in that personal rejection. Yeah. And that's how I started selling stories to Benicia's skies, honestly. Yeah, because I got a personal rejection from beneath Cecil's skies. I'm like, that is what what Scott Andrews wants. So I started writing stories specifically for him. Yeah, yep. you know, uh, that's exactly the same thing that our May 2019 guest R.K. Duncan said about mm-hmm. beneath Cecil's skies. Was like, I write BCS stories and I was getting personal rejections from Scott, and I figured out what Scott wanted. Mm-hmm. And now I just get BCS sales. I got a um, rejection. I got a personal rejection from Strange Horizons like earlier this week, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, getting a personal rejection from Strange Horizons. It's great. Yes, yeah. it's great. So, so, um, but so I, this one I'm actually going to edit too. One because the sentence was terrific, mm-hmm. but two um, because it actually is something that the story needs. Yeah. So, so I'm like, oh, well, mm, yeah, that's yeah. true. So, so yeah. So when I get, I'll say when I get a personal rejection from Charlie FNSF, I will look at it. I'll read it. I'll reread what I sent to him. And then I'll run both of those. Like, if it doesn't sit with me, I'll just say, okay, that was his opinion. That's fine. Mm-hmm. More often than not, I'll be like, oh, that's really insightful. Mm-hmm. Let me run this by somebody else first. I often run what Charlie thinks back by other people that I trust. Yeah, that are my that are, that are my best readers, and I'll be like, "Hey, do you think if they read the story, I'm like, hey, do you think it would benefit by with this thing?" Mm-hmm. And, if, and and if they say, "Oh gosh, yes," I'm like, "Okay, yeah, okay, I'm doing this." Then um, Charlie is Charlie is wonderful and takes all this time to write the personal rejections. But I don't, but sometimes, sometimes they're great for us, FNSS, but sometimes they're wonderful for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, but, and, and so um, I have yet to sell the fantasy and science fiction, but I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the first story I sold for money was before the second time that Charlie was a guest editor for SNF, FNSF. And, you know, was doing electronic submissions, which previously, with Gordon Van Gelder editing, it was just Postal Subs for FNSF, so I hadn't submitted there in, since I was a baby writer, uh, in like 2005, 2006. But I sent him this story, and he sat on it for a while, and he sent it back to me, and he said, you know, I really like this. It started... Two pages, two pages too soon, and didn't hit, like, you didn't hit the notes right in the right order at the end. And I looked at oh. that and I said, okay, 
and sent it off to... I basically run out of magazines at this point for this story because mm-hmm. FNSF hadn't been a viable market, really, for mm-hmm. me at the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, it had already been through Uncanny and Clark's World and mm-hmm. all of those. So I sent it off to Lamplight, which is the semi-pro dark fantasy magazine. Lovely. I love them so much. And I sent it to them and... They said, yes, this is perfect for us. After going through and fixing the three things that Charlie said, um, I basically just, I chopped off the first two pages of the story and then I was looking at it. I had just taken a short fiction class from Mary Robinette Kowal and, you know, she talks about the mice elements being Mm -hmm. like how you have to nest them. And I realized at the end, they were just slightly out of order. Nice. And was able to twist that around and sold that story. So, yeah. Don't always take what a personal rejection says to heart, but make sure that you gut check it. Yeah, consider it, gut check it, check with people, check with your check with your best readers. I mean, we're all going to have best readers and people that just don't get it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and um, your so best reader for one thing might not be your best reader for another thing. 100% true. Yeah, because we all write different. I mean, we write different stuff. We write different stuff. So, yeah. So we're about running out of time. But before we go, are there places where we can read your work that are coming up soon? Yes. So um, I'm going to at March. So so I have the Diabolical Plots. Year six is out. And I have a story in it called A Promise of Dying Embers, and it's about a ghost and a dead dragon, an undead dragon, and the girl who is trying to do her best by both of them. And I love it's it. and Fantastic. it's best based on King's Quest three. So um so sort of very loosely, but as anyway. And um then in then you can pre-order Glitter and Ashes, mm-hmm. which is a story of queer lives in the post-post-post-apocalypse. So um, I have a story in there 60 years after the apocalypse in Tucson. Um, we've, got, got, we've got a non-binary pr- protagonist and vampires, and it's an accessible future where the person who runs everywhere that the, where everybody hangs out is in a wheelchair. And nice. So, yeah, so... Anyway, I love it. We will have uh, links to both of those in the show notes, listeners. So look for those. Um, And Jordan, where can listeners find you elsewhere online? So I'm at a very creative Twitter username. This is JS (laughs) Corella. And um, I'm also at jordancorella.com, which is a very creative um, website. Fantastic. Listeners, if you're thinking about a career in writing, buy your domain name now. You might not be able to buy it by the time you actually want it. <laughs> it's 12 bucks a year. Jordan, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's really been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. I had fun. Thank you. Listeners, join us again next month on April 17th when our guest will be me, Hilary B. Bisniak, with special guest host Sharon Chu. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. 
You can find the show on Twitter at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBisniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>